How you guys doing? Good times. Welcome to church. All right, my name is uh, Jeff Kennedy, and I'm the pastor of uh, discipleship and adult ministries around here. If you have your Bible, go ahead and get it out and open it to Mark chapter 1. If you don't have a Bible, you can feel free to raise your hand, and uh, one of our ushers will bring you one. And if you don't own one, you can keep that one as our gift to you. Mark chapter 1, we'll be camping out there today. As Matt mentioned, this is our new series. It's called uh, The Signature of Jesus. We're beginning that new series, and uh, so what do we mean by that? What does it mean? It's, uh, of course, it's Super Bowl Sunday, and most of us will watch the Broncos and the Hawks battle it out for the championship today, right on. And as we watch, uh, we'll see Peyton Manning, boo, no, uh, <laughs> use his, um, his signature audible call, which is what? Right, Omaha. In fact, he uses it so much that it's synonymous with Peyton Manning now, and it won't work. And by the way, a football, an actual signed football by Peyton Manning goes for $249 on eBay. I just looked that up. So um, just in case you want to know. And we'll also see Russell Wilson. I don't know if if there's a name for his signature move or his signature play, but uh, he is really known for a quarterback that really can do it all. But uh, he rolls out of the pocket. And he can pick up yardage uh, like, like a fullback, man. He can, he can get 10 yards like a fullback. So that's kind of his signature move. And by the way, a football with his signature on it goes for about $400. So just so you know. <laughs> you saw the video. They're God's team. They're Jesus' team. So you know who to root for. And whether it's somebody's signature move or whether it's somebody's actual autograph on a piece of paper, that signature symbolizes something. That signature symbolizes something about them, their mark, something that they have left on on it. And in the same way, when you and I come into contact with Jesus, it changes us and we are never the same. So in this series, going through the gospel of Mark, we're going to explore what it is like to be touched by Jesus, to be left with his mark on our lives. And today, I'm just going to frame our topic. Uh, I'll give you an overview of what Jesus is all about. In fact, it's right here in the Gospel of Mark. It's in chapter 1, verse 1, and here it is. Let's read along. Mark 1, 1. It says this. This is the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God. Couldn't be any more simpler than that, huh? Mark is an ancient biography, And all ancient biographies, whether they are biblical or extra-biblical, usually in the first few sentences, in the first line or the first sentence, that ancient biographer wants to introduce you to what he's going to be talking about for the rest of his biography. And this is what Mark wants you to know about Jesus. He wants you to know these two things, that he is the Messiah and the Son of God. So let's look at these two aspects of Jesus' ministry And how they leave their mark on our lives. Number one, if you're taking notes, Jesus was the king. Jesus was the king. Well, this is what the term Messiah, which comes from the Hebrew word Mashiach, or the word Christ, which is the Greek version of that word. It's the word Christos. It means an anointed king. And now the Jews in Jesus' day had lots of reasons to expect an anointed king who would come and deliver them from their political oppression Two things in their worldview greatly shaped their expectation of this. And the first one is a prophecy in Daniel chapter 9. They expected a coming prince or a coming son of God 
according to Daniel 9, 27. That passage is what we call the 70 times 7 prophecy. It's, or it's called the 70 weeks prophecy. And essentially what happens in that prophecy, uh, prophecy is that Daniel gets this vision of the 70 times 7 or the 70 weeks. And he has to have the angel explain it to him. And, and so basically 70 times 7 is 490. And so the Jews in Jesus' day believed that based on that passage... 490 years after the issuing of Cyrus's decree for the Jews to come back into their land, 490 years later, the Jews would receive their permanent king, their son of David, their ruler, their prince, who would rule their lives forever. And this is why in Jesus' day, messianic fervor was so high. In other words, excitement about the coming Messiah was so high and so popular in Jesus' day because they had done the math. They knew they were living in that window of time, that one window of time in history when the Messiah could come. And this is also why there are no significant messianic movements after the destruction of the temple in AD 70. Why? Because the window had passed and the Jews believed that window was gone. So they believed they lived in that time period, and so that's why all these, there's this excitement in the New Testament about the coming king, the coming son of David. And that's why there's, frankly, so much excitement about Jesus himself. Daniel 9, that passage and many other prophecies, particularly in Isaiah, told these people that they were living in an age, in a time in which their king, their Messiah, was going to come. So that's the first thing that conditioned them to want a king, a Messiah. The next one was they expected their king to be a military warrior who would come and rout the Romans the way David had done the Philistines 10 centuries before or the way that the Hasmonean boys, Judas, Jonathan, and Simon or Shimon had done just a century or so before them. You see, they celebrated every year their Independence Day, their 4th of July was a celebration of the Maccabean Revolt where the Hasmonean family routed the Greeks and sent them back to Greece. And they won for a time their independence as a Jewish nation. So they had empirical evidence. They had proof that military uprisings work, both from the Old Testament and the intertestamental period. And so they were conditioned to believe that when the Messiah comes, this king is going to kick some bootay. And that's what they believed. And John and Mark is supposed, is trying to tell these people that your Messiah has come. The Messiah you expected is not the Messiah you expected. He is the Messiah. He is your king. But here's the problem, Jews. And this is what Mark was telling them. You guys have screened out all the suffering service, servant passages in the Old Testament. You see, Mark's gospel is about the Messiah who is a suffering servant for God's people. They forgot passages like Isaiah chapter 53, which said that he was wounded for our, for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The punishment that br brings us peace was upon him, and by his wounds and his stripes we are healed. They, they left that stuff out. But Mark's here to uh, remind them that he is your Messiah, and he is the suffering servant of God's people. And the second thing Mark wants to know is not that he's just your king, Number two is that he, Jesus, was the son of God. He was the son of God. Mark 1.1 1, 1 says he was the Messiah and the son of God, not just your king. And the son of God had a program for Israel that they weren't necessarily prepared for. 
They didn't see it coming. This is why when Jesus was baptized in Mark chapter 1, verses 9 through 11, he comes up out of the water, and John literally hears a voice. Have you ever heard voices? I hope not. Um, (laughs) But Jesus comes up out of the water, and John hears a voice booming and thundering from heaven saying, this is my son, in him I am well pleased. An affirmation that this was not just some earthly king, not just some son of David in the line of David, this was God's very son. And as God's son, Jesus didn't just have the authority to rule his people in a geopolitical sense. As God's son, Jesus had the authority over darkness and brokenness. That's the first thing it means to be God's son. Jesus has the authority over darkness and brokenness. What do I mean by that? In Mark 1, 23, Jesus is going about and he's at the synagogues. And he is taking every speaking gig he can get to tell these people the good news, salvation has come. So he, he goes into this one synagogue, and while he is preaching his sermon, a person with an evil spirit, a demoniac, cries out in the middle of his message and just starts frothing at the mouth and screaming at him, interrupting his message. And here's what Jesus says in verse 25. Mark says, Jesus cut him short. He says, shut up, shut, shut up. And come out of him. He ordered, at that the evil spirit screamed, threw the man into a convulsion, and then came out of him as Jesus had ordered him to do. And the congregation sitting in that synagogue service went, oh my, that's new. That's different. Basically, their response, according to Mark, was, what in the what? We have never heard of anything like this before. We have never seen a rabbi a potential Messiah wield the power of God like that in church. And so he came to set people free from their darkness, but not just their darkness, their brokenness. Look how Mark sums it up in Mark 1, 32 and 34. It says, so Jesus healed many people who were sick with various diseases, a lot of different kinds of diseases, and he cast out many demons. And so Mark is trying to tell you Jesus had authority to deliver people from their darkness and their brokenness to heal them. Listen, whatever darkness you're facing here today, you need to know that Jesus can set you free. It may be the darkness of deception, addiction, or abuse. You know, Jesus wasn't and he isn't just a nice religious preacher who existed in the first century who went about, uh, you know, spreading the message of uh, peace and flowers. That wasn't Jesus. Jesus came with the power of God as God's son to set people free from darkness. And as teachers in this church, as leaders, as pastors and preachers, we are not charged by God to just give you a nice, housebroken, domesticated Christianity. That's not our job either. Now, we are not your priests. We are not your holy vicars. So you don't need a person between you and God. But when you come in here on a Sunday morning and we're preaching God's word, God's word can set you free. God's word can change your life. He can change your thinking. He can change your circumstances. He can set you free from bad choices and selfishness and whatever dark hole you find yourself in due to your own making or the circumstances of life. Jesus can give you patience to endure the unbearable. He's not like your earthly king. 
He's not like your earthy, earthly rulers and governors. He is God's king, anointed by the spirit, and he is God's son. He follows through on his promises. And his economy, if you like your plan, you actually can keep it. Okay, anyway. <laughs> Sorry, but Jesus follows through. He does what he says he will do for you. And he's not like our earthly rulers. He is God's anointed king. And if Jesus can't do that, then what are we doing here? What's all the rigmarole about? Why are we here? If Jesus can't set me free, man, from the tyranny of sin, from controlling habits or demonic harassment, then what's it all about? But he does, Mark says, he does change minds and hearts and lives. He changes us. As God's son, Jesus also has the authority to teach people God's truth. He doesn't just have the authority to set you free from darkness. He has the the authority to do it by teaching you the truth of God's word. Look at what the people say here in verse 22. 122, it says, The people were amazed at his teaching, for he taught with real authority, quite unlike the teachers of religious law. What sort of thing is this, they said. They asked excitedly. It has such authority. The Holy Spirit ignites the truth, and Jesus' truth can set us free. So what was that truth? What was it? What was the message that Jesus was trying to get across to people? (laughs) It's a pretty simple message. And what were they so astonished about? It wasn't just that he wielded the power of God at will. He had legislative, miracle-working power. He could just... He didn't even have to pray. He could just wield the power and the healing power of God. But in addition to that, he told them the truth. And it was quite a novel message. And here's what it was. This new teaching that Jesus was laying on them was that Jesus, or God, the Messiah, has come for the outsiders. Now, that was new for them. We hear that in church all the time. Because we're 2,000 years removed from this. But at the time, Jesus was laying this new novel idea on on them that God has come also for the outsiders. Notice Mark says in Mark 1 that he traveled and went to every synagogue. I mentioned that. Luke fills out the story a bit. His first sermon actually was in Nazareth, the town where he grew up, his hometown. And in Luke chapter 4, he comes into the synagogue, and it's his day to preach, and he's the honored guest, the honored rabbi who's delivering the, the halakha that morning. And they unroll the scroll... And he reads from this amazing passage from Isaiah that says, The Spirit of the Lord, the Sovereign Lord, is upon me, and he has anointed me to set prisoners free, to set captives free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's Jubilee. Amen? And they rolled up the scroll, put it back in the Torah box, put it back in the Torah closet, and Jesus stood there at the podium and he said this, Today, that scripture is fulfilled in your assembly. And what happened next? Luke chapter 4, it says, And they all spoke well of him. (laughs) How wonderful. His mom was there. His family was there. Man, no one loves you more than your mom. Your mom thinks you're awesome, even when you're not. And so his extended family, the whole town had showed up to hear this, this, this hometown boy who had made it famous preach in their church, and they all spoke well of him. Surely, maybe he's 
Maybe he's the Messiah. And then he said this, surely all of you will quote this parable to me. Doctor, heal yourself from our wounds. Do in your hometown, in this Jewish town, what we heard you do for those Gentiles. And then a riot broke out in church. These people literally went sideways on him, grabbed him, took him out to the precipice, and threatened to throw him down the terraces. And he escaped. You see, these good religious people could not handle the message that the Messiah, their king, was here for the outsiders too. Do you know why? Because those outsiders had crucified their brothers and their fathers and their sons and hung them and suspended them on these brutal Roman crosses and killed them. And Jesus was now saying, I have come for them too. And they couldn't take it. So his message was a new thing. What kind of message is this with power, with authority, and also an offer to the outsiders to become insiders? But the most scandalous part of his teaching was that he was offering this gospel to the insiders too. What? Why? The insiders are already insiders. Well, they're already in church. They're already born of Abraham. They already have an Abrahamic lineage, a pedigree, of religion. They already have all that. They already attend synagogue. They already go to the feast down in Jerusalem seven times a year. They already spend their hard-earned money buying a blemished, an unblemished lamb so they can sacrifice. They're already good religious folk, but Jesus' message was shocking to them because the message was, it doesn't matter whether you were born a Southern Baptist. It doesn't matter that you were born a Catholic. It doesn't matter that you were born a Presbyterian. Maybe you grew up in this church and you're just born nothing. <laughs> you know, like you're nothing. But you just attend East Point. Look, it, none of that matters. What matters is do you have a relationship with the Messiah, the Son of God? Because only in the moment that you come into a faith relationship with him do you become saved. And so the message is not just for outsiders. The most shocking part about it is John the Baptist and Jesus' cousins are down in the Jordan River baptizing good religious folk. And so the Pharisees come down and they want to have a little knockdown drag out. They're like, who do you think you are, man? Proselytizing people who don't need to be proselytized. You don't need to evangelize people who are already saved in Abraham. And Jesus says, no, you got it wrong. Jesus was God's king and he was God's son. And his message was repentance from sin, healing for brokenness, and deliverance from darkness. And he offers this salvation. He offers God's good news to everyone. doesn't matter who you are. And so what should be our response? What should be our response to this message? Well, it shouldn't be dilly-dallying, that's for sure. The message is urgent. Remember when I was a little kid, I'll tell you a story. Um, I was a little kid, me and my brother, there was this tree that grew up right next to our house. And uh, it's kind of an interesting tree. It had been there as long as I could remember. We grew up in that house in Virginia, and the tree was dead. And it just looked like a tree out of some Edgar Allan Poe you know, story. I mean, it just was this sort of uh, old gray dead tree 
kind of a spooky looking one. And so we were making our way around the corner and I stopped and saw a bird's nest up at the top of that tree. And I said, hey, Skip, man, let's get that nest. He said, yeah, man, let's get it. And so up the tree we went. And I went first. I was a better climber than him. I was like a chimp. Man, I could, climb, I could scale a tree like a cat. So I'm, up, I'm going up that tree. And my brother's version of the story is much better because it's complete. He remembers the rest of it. Man, he followed me up the tree, and, and to listen to him tell it is hilarious. He says, man, I looked up the tree, and there you were. He goes, and then I heard a snap, whomp. He said, I looked up again, and you weren't there anymore. He said, then I looked down on the ground, and there you were in chalk outline position on the ground. And he said, I thought for a minute, and I thought, well, I better go help him. So he kind of climbs down the tree, takes his old sweet time. And then he gets down to me. He said, I tried to wake you up, but you wouldn't wake up. So then I, well, I started kicking your head like a soccer ball because I thought you were faking. (laughs) He said, then I realized you really were knocked out. So I better go get mom and dad. And so I went over and I got my football and I got my roller skates and I went in the house. Finally, he gets in the house. And mom's version of the story is that Skip walked in the house and they were sitting at the kitchen table, and he said, he was doing something else, and he said, oh, yeah, by the way, Mom, uh, Jeff's out on the ground. He fell out of a tree. He won't wake up. <laughs> now, that was my brother's response, but that was not my mother and dad's response. Mom said, we came out of that back door like bats out of hell. She said, we went warp speed and made it to where you were, and Daddy picked me up. And Mama said, we got in his 68 Camaro, and we did a 45-mile, uh, we did a 45-minute trip in about 15 minutes. He pushed the engine of that 68 Camaro to its limit. And when we got to the hospital, he didn't even bother parking. He just pulled up, scooped me out of the car, crashed into the doors in the ER, and started, Mom said he started screaming at everybody, help my son, help my son. And they pulled the bed up and put me on the bed. And about 12 hours later, I woke up out of a coma. Brain swelling had finally gone down. And all my family are standing around me like I had just come back from the other side, man. What's the difference between those two responses? One was urgent and one was not. And Jesus says this. Mark tells us this. When the Son of God, the King of the world, the rightful King of the world, comes into your life and he gives you the good news of salvation, don't dilly-dally. Get to him. Let your response be urgent. Here's why. Because I'm going to put it up on the screen here. The problem with taking our sweet old time when the gospel comes into our lives is that when we think lightly of the disease, we will loiter on the way to the physician. When we think our sin is just no big deal and that our condition is really not all that bad and that we'll just be fine, we will take our sweet old time getting to the doctor, Dr. Jesus. But let me tell you, Jesus wants you to come with a sense of urgency. Jesus wants you to get out of that relationship or get out of that sinful life, man, like the house is burning down. Because he wants to transform you. And his gospel is a gospel of the king. He's not my president. He's not my governor. He's not my elected representative. He is my king. And as a king, he calls the shots. 
And he is God's Messiah, empowered by the Holy Spirit because he is the Son of God. And what this king does is he has a message for outsiders, the people who thought they were far away and they couldn't get to God. And he has a message for the insiders, the people who have sort of, uh, they thought they were safe behind the citadels of religion. And his message is, none of you are safe. And the good news is that your Savior has come and you can be saved and you can be set free and you can be delivered from brokenness and delivered from harassment and delivered, set free. And that's the quintessential Jesus. That's what this series is all about. It's about the mark that Jesus leaves in our lives. Want to meet that king today? Let's pray. The question on the table today is really, there are many of you in here, you are born again believers, man. You have been saved. You have pledged your faith and your life to Jesus. But there are some of you in here that thought you were safe. In fact, I just met some in the very last service, in our first service. They thought they were safe because they were born into a religious family, but you're not, my friend. And this is your moment. This is the time in which God would ask you, God would ask you, summon you to be a member, a subject in his kingdom, to surrender your heart and surrender your religion and surrender your pedigree, surrender all that, and come to faith in him. And there are some of you in here today, you're outsiders, and you, you just thought, well, I'll always be an outsider. I'm here because my girlfriend dragged me, or I'm here because, you know, uh, my family member brought me. But God, I'm, I'm just, you don't know what I've done. Look, the Messiah, the Son of God, here's the good news. It doesn't matter what you've done. Because today, you could be set free by the power of the Holy Spirit. You can know the freedom of Christ. You can know it. So I want you to pray something like this with me. Both groups, here we go. Father in heaven, I'm a sinner. And so that qualifies me for your salvation. And Jesus, I know that you died on the cross for me and that you rose from the, third, from the grave on the third day. And I want to be in your family. I want to be in your kingdom. I want to know you. And so I invite you to be the Lord of my life right now. And as I do that, I believe your Holy Spirit is remaking me from the inside out. If you are praying that right now, the Holy Spirit, the scripture promises the Holy Spirit is giving you an experience of rebirth, of renewal, of change. That's what's happening right now in your spirit, in your heart. Heavenly Father, I pray for every person who prayed that today, who's here, who showed up, who suited up, to come in here and be delivered and be set free and be challenged by your word. And today, God, I pray that every one of them would sense your spirit walking with them in a powerful, amazing way. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, guys, um, I just want to end this message like we always do with one more worship song, but not just a song, not just a sing-along, not just so we can pass the offering we do want you to give, but we also want to celebrate what the Son of God, the King of the world, has done in our lives. And if you made those commitments for the first time today, we're going to celebrate them right now, okay? Oh, happy day. Let's do it. Right on. Glorious day. What, what an awesome thing to celebrate, man. Hey, listen. 
Listen, today, if uh, you made a decision for Jesus, pick up one of these packets on that back table. It's a new believer packet. And sign up for that First Steps class. We cannot wait to take you through that material. That's one of the best classes we do. And then also, we've got some prayer people, Pastor Matt, myself, some prayer team down here. We would love to lay our hands on you and pray God's power. Help, help deliver you, okay? So come down front if you need to. Also, we have communion on the sides if you need to take communion today. And one more thing, I want to leave you with this. Remember, do not loiter on your way to the doctor of Jesus, okay? This week, God bless you. Find the Lord.